0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. So what we've done each message in this series is we've taken our title directly from the text that we were in for that day. And so this week, our title comes from Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. And it's found in the phrase that says this, but for you who fear my name. But for you who fear my name, now what is that statement, okay, think about this whole series, what is that statement, yet another call from God for his people to return to him. But for you who fear my name, it's almost, um, and it is really, it's an invitation, isn't it? But for you who fear my name, it's kind of left there for a moment, there's an invitation, even sense in this phrase, there's a a package of life, um, a package of love. A package of blessing that's about to be opened. God's like, but if you who fear my name, are you going to be one who fears my name? If you fear my name, I'm going to give this package to you and you open it. It's going to be filled with such blessing and love and grace. And, but it's a, but, see the contrast. See that in Malachi 4? But, but for you, so there's others who don't. There are those who don't fear the name of the Lord, that don't esteem him that aren't concerned with his glory. But for you who do fear my name, he says, then there's going to be blessing. The but presents the contrast, which grabs the attention, which should heighten, even now as I'm saying this over you, but for you who fear my name, there should be, yeah, what? There should be an expectancy. There should be a level of urgency. It's like, yes, yes. Uh, Tell me, what is there? What is there for those who fear the name of the Lord? Well, the answer to that question, how we're going to answer that question, is allowing Malachi 4, verse 2, to become the hub of our text, or the anchor, if you will, that we're going to tie other truths to. But for you who fear my name, and what we're going to see from the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, we're going to see three truths that relate to those who fear the name of the Lord. Okay, If you've been tracking it all with Malachi you know how important this is to God. You know how much he cares for the heart that fears his name, that honors him, and he does it again here as he ends this book. So what's gonna happen today? Okay, we're gonna look at examples and truths that relate to, but for those who fear my name. Now, we're gonna start negative, Then we're going to get positive. Then we're going to get negative again. We're going to end positive, okay? Can't just leave you negative, all right? But it's going to go like negative, positive, negative, positive. And by the end, I pray that you'll be encouraged. But there is a level of seriousness in this message as well. But I'm just saying to you what God has said. That's my job. That's what I'm called to do. And by God's grace, I will do that right now, okay? So we start first with the negative point number one. We see a group of people who lack the fear of the Lord. Now, people who lack the fear of the Lord, here's what you can expect. A calloused heart and a complaining heart. So right now, uh, you take a self-exam where you are. God's word just barely been opened so far, but already is my heart calloused, is a heart of complaint. How do I approach the Lord? How have I been this day? How have I been this week? Okay, Look at verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13. This is God saying, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. I mean, just imagine God saying that to you. Your words have been hard against me. But the people say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, so here's what the people have complained. It shows how hard their hearts are. It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge, obedience, or of walking as in mourning? What's the point of saying sorry for our sins before the Lord of hosts? And now, this is their big complaint, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Now, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test, and they escape. Verses 13 to 15, in some ways, summarize again the heart problem of God's people since the book of Malachi began. Here we are again, all the exhortations, nothing's really changed. But check that, verses 13 to 15 really describe the heart problem of God's people throughout the entire Old Testament. There's a period where they're faithful to God, their hearts go astray, they walk in disobedience, they make false idols, they complain to God about His injustice to them, and they drift away. God shows mercy, calls them back, disciplines them, they return, they find themselves in a better place, but then the heart starts to drift again. It's amazing this pattern of right with God, wrong with God, right with God, wrong with God. And this is the pattern of the heart we see all the time. Now, if you and I are wise right now, we're not just like man, the people of Malachi's day, what a what a bunch of dummies. Or the people in the Old Testament, wow, man, those, why couldn't they just get it right? They had all the reason. The, the wise person right now says, is my heart like that? Do I have a heart problem? Is my heart calloused? Am I filled with a lack of contentment, instead filled with complaint versus the Lord? Notice in verse 13, um, Israel had been speaking against God in a, says, a hard way. That's a harsh or sinful way. Notice this. Again, put your heart on the table right now. There's no gratitude to the Lord from them. There's the opposite. There's complaining. There's protest. Just as their ancestors went before them, their hearts moved to complaint, not contentment. Again, would you describe yourself? Be honest right now. Are you prone to complaining or contentment? And sometimes we don't see ourselves as we should because the pride and sin of our heart blinds us. So maybe in a very honest moment, you could turn, not now, that won't be appropriate in church, but at some point, ask your spouse or ask a really good friend. And just say, how would you describe me? Am I one to be known for complaining or contentment, gratitude or whining? When you fear the name of the Lord, we're going to see in a few moments, the complaining starts to go away pretty quickly. Because all you see is the beauty and the mercy and the love and the grace of God upon your life and in his holiness. But notice what the people do when God says, you've spoken hard things against me. They protest again. They argue with God. They dispute with him. They say, how have we spoken against you? You know, as they say that right there in our initial verses, that is the seventh time in Malachi the people have disputed with God. I want to put all seven disputations on the screen for you to see. This is one way you can outline Malachi from start to finish. This is a legitimate way, and we have almost, you could preach through Malachi in this way, study Malachi in this way, Here are the seven statements of dispute God's people have made with God himself, okay? Back in chapter one, how have you loved us, Lord? God says, oh yeah, God, how have you loved us? It's not like, how have you loved us? Sincerely, God, tell us, how have you loved us? No, 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 it's a state of complaining. It's a state of, again, they're they're not pleased. How have we despised you, God? We haven't despised you. Show us, how have we done this? How have we polluted you, God? How have we given you our leftovers? How have we wearied him? I don't think we wearied him. He's wearied us. How have we wearied him? How shall we return, God? Tell us, how should we do it? God, how have we? we haven't robbed you. We're, we're giving a, a, a portion. We haven't robbed you, God. How have we done this? Again, it's not being asking a genuine concern. It's asking in the sense of like, prove it, God. Prove it. And then today, how have we spoken against you, God? Show us some evidence. Isn't that always the case when a lot of people, and this is a great check for your heart right now, for mine right now, often when there's an accusation made against us or someone tries to convict us of something that's been wrong, it's amazing how the proud heart instantly says, Prove it! Show me! You got any examples of that? Because I'll refute every single one. Because I've been to law school of my own sin. And I'll show you who's right and who not right. amazing how the heart does that? And that's really in many ways the heart of God's people here. Before the, but before the Lord. Before the Lord. And we look at verses 14 and 15 of, of chapter 3, and they're asking, okay, God, show us. So God gives a detailed answer of how their hearts are calloused and how their hearts have complained. Allow me to paraphrase, paraphrase verses 14 and 15. Here's what God's people are basically saying about to God. What's the point in serving God? Why bother with obedience to God? Why be sorry for our sins? After all, he just blesses those who does evil. I mean, after all, the proud are the ones who seem to get blessed. And those who dare God to judge them, they escape every time. This is what God's people are saying to God. Now notice inherent in these phrases here, okay? Notice what's happening. The Israelites are assuming their own godliness. See that? So they're sitting here saying, we're right, we're righteous, but the wicked are the ones that are blessed. And yet, again, again, such a point of insight right here, okay? The very words they are saying to the Lord is blasphemy on themselves. In fact, their sin accusing God in his character is greater than the sin they're pointing out to God of other people. It shows you the blindness and the foolishness that comes upon people who lack the fear of the Lord in their life. They have the greater sin, but they can't even see it. That's the state of a heart that has gone south. You can't see your own sin. You just see the sin in others. It's the log in your own eye. This massive log sticking, Jesus said, in your own eye. You're walking around, and everyone can see this massive log, but all you want to do is try to pick out the speck in your brother or sister's eye the whole time you have this massive two-by-four sticking out of your face. That was an interesting spot for a hallelujah. (laughs) But, the point is being made, right? When our hearts are in the wrong place, we are blind to what matters most to us. Okay, notice, blind to sin, our own sin. Notice, when we lack the fear of the Lord, consumed with self. That's our society. That's the temptation every person here every day. Make it about me, make it about me, make it about me. Right, see so what happened there? When you lose the fear of the Lord, what happens? You're filled with the fear of men. You're filled with the love of self. Eyes off of God, off uh, onto something, most likely myself. And there's, what about us, God? What about us? How come they're getting happening? See what's happening there? That's not the Lord. And there's also the vision itself. They can't actually see God. A lack of the fear of the Lord leads to a callous part. So you lose your sensitivity. Some of you are here right now, and there's no sensitivity to the things of God. Um, there's no feeling, passion, a love. Maybe you're here right now, and you're singing the songs, but these words are incredibly beautiful, and yet it's in your head, but it's not reached your heart. I don't know all the reasons for that, okay? Like the Lord does. But it's a wonderful question to ask and say, is is, is my heart being calloused? When something gets calloused, it loses its sensitivity. It loses its feeling. You can like scratch it, but there's no feeling there. When the heart gets calloused, this is what happens. And the lack of the fear of the Lord is what contributes to the hardening of the heart. That's the negative. Now God's word takes us to the positive. Point number two. Filled with fear reverent, and remembered, okay? Now, remember, fear here is good. This isn't negative fear anxiety. Filled the fear of the Lord. Those who are filled with the fear of the Lord, they will be filled with reverence, and they will be remembered. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. Wow, okay, let's stop right there for a second. That reminds me of Proverbs 25, verse 6. Listen carefully, so beautiful. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord. Isn't that so beautiful for those who fear him? See what's happening here? The complainers huddled together and they began to whine. God's not treating us well. We're hard done by. Life is so tough. But notice the godly. It's the soft hearts. They come together. Again, notice verse 18 or verse 16. Those who fear the Lord spoke with one another. So they come together in a a huddle of righteousness in the Lord. And they speak to one another encouraging words in the fear of the Lord. Now just just picture that. Those who fear the Lord. Always a remnant, loved ones. Always a remnant. And they come together, and what a beautiful picture this is for God's people, what a beautiful picture this is for the church, that there would be people coming together. This is what this fellowship should be. More than just preaching, and as, and as important as this is, it is, the, it is the center point of the church, God's word but beyond that as well, around the truths of God's word, to come together in fellowship, in community, to encourage one another in the things of the fear of the Lord. This is what they were doing. And now notice what happens with the Lord here. Notice what happens, okay? It says this. It says the Lord, verse 16, paid attention, okay? So right away, those who fear the Lord, the eyes of the Lord go upon them. Notice what it says next in verse sixteen, and the Lord heard them. This is so beautiful. Okay, so now God sees and hears. So you have a gathering of men and women who honor Christ and fear Him, and God's like, I'm coming over to see what's going on over here, and He looks in and He listens in, and He hears what's being said as a group of people seek see see what can happen within His church when it's rooted in the fear and honor of the Lord, the God of glory looks in he listens in here see what i really see what's happening right here is automatically when when the lord finds a fear and a reverence right the fear of the lord it's the it's the reverent worship of his name and his glory you're living for his honor you speak this way you want to live this way you sing this way you again it comes from your life knows it the fear of the lord gives off a fragrance that rises to the nostrils of god it's something that's irresistible to him. This is why the Bible says, again, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is why the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. This is why the reward for fear of the Lord and humility is riches, honor, and life. Because the fear of the Lord from our lives gives off a fragrance that the Lord cannot resist. He is drawn to it and he looks down, he hears and he loves the people who do that. But he's not done. Look at what verse 16 continues to say. Okay, And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. Now remember, The major complaint of the calloused, put your heart on the table, put your heart on the table right now. The major complaint of the calloused was, where's God? He's not listening. He doesn't care. He's blessing the evil. See how they missed it? They missed it all. And then God responds, well, actually, I'm not missing anything. And what he says is, not only am I not missing this, for those people who love me, who fear me, who trust me in the midst of difficulty, who believe in the unity that is found in the Trinity itself and the love of God, notice this, they don't say God's not listening. Their reverence of God fills their lives. And listen, the remembrance within God fills God's own heart. So not only, not only do we not now say, God, you're not seeing me, I'm complaining because life isn't going the way I want to, the fear of the Lord reverses that entirely, and now you're aware that God keeps a journal. Do you keep a journal? I keep a journal. What do I write down? I write down victories in the Lord. I write down how God is changing me, chastening me, discipline me, how God is providing, how God is sustaining. How you, you write down the joys. You write down the things you're learning. You write down the transformation. You write down the remembrance of the grace and the faithfulness of God. Journaling's good. God keeps a journal too. His journal consists of those who fear his name. Ow. Oh. He says, like, I remember. He says, in fact, I I write it down. It doesn't stop there. Verse 17. They shall be mine. Who's that for today? Just God Almighty, the God of the universe says, they're mine. They're mine. Notice, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, notice the past tense here, okay? In the day when I will future tense, spare them as a man spares his son who serves him, okay? See what's happening here? So the reverend are remembered, the reverend are also treasured. In that day when I make them my treasured possession, how does not this not remind us of 1 Peter 2, 9? That you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So for sure in line, with Malachi 3, verse 17, and what's happening here in First Peter 2, 9. And what is this, loved ones? What is this but the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that all have sinned, and fallen short in the glory of God, when they put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they turn to him, their sins are forgiven, their, their, their slate is uh, wiped clean, they are now uh, presented as righteous because of Jesus Christ before the Lord, they are saved from sin, they, they become alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, and at that moment, here's the gospel, they become a child of God, adopted, and they instantly become a treasure possession of the Lord. And they now live not for the world, they live for what will be. That is the power of the gospel. This is seen right here, right now. So again, again, look, 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 look. A huge point of Christian maturity right now. The immature say, God, where are you? God, you don't see. God, you're not blessing me. God, how come I'm not seeing this in my life? And almost every case, when we're complaining to God, we're complaining about the horizontal. We're complaining about this temporal earth. But those who fear the Lord, they look up and they say, no, God sees me. I, I, I want you to hear this today because it's the fear of the Lord that smashes through the fear of man. And so many of you right now are, are devastated by living in the fear of man. The fear of man controls you, consumes you. The fear of man guides you. The fear of man cripples you. The Lord says to you right now, I want you to receive this from the Lord himself right from his word because that's all I'm doing, telling you God's word. God says to you, he says, I see you. I see you, I see everything that you're going through, I see you. He says, I hear you. I hear, not one word is passed by my ears. He says this, he says, listen, I treasure you. I treasure you. If you are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ, treasured possession of the Lord. He says this, he says, I've saved you. I saved you, it's not a temporal salvation, it's not maybe hit and miss, one day it's on, next day it's off, No, nope. eternally secure, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says this, listen, he says, I love you. He says, I love you. Those who are filled with the fear of the Lord, this is the truth that is their foundation for life. This is what propels them to not give up. This is what guides them to what is their reality, glory that is before them. Because you see what happens in verse 18 now? Verse 18. Then once more, you shall see. Again, look, look, at, look at all what God's saying. You shall, I will, on that day, right? Future tense. The once, once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve. Him. So once more you shall see. Those who fear in my name, you shall see. You know that phrase in life when we say, you'll see. How do I know? And you're like, you just, you just know, like you know the outcome. You're like, you'll see. You'll see. You know what I'm talking about? Just wait, you'll see, you'll see. And we just know what's gonna happen. It's often a really good, that's what God's saying right here. He's like, you'll see. How do we know God? Know. Fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Like, you'll see. And like, yeah, yeah, I will see. One day I will see. I will see what? There will be a distinction made between the righteous and the wicked. A distinction made between those who serve God and those who do not. A distinction made between those who are truly in Christ, those who are not. There'll be a distinction made between those who are saved and those who are not saved. What do we learn here? Ready, ready? Learn. learn this. Stop allowing our emotions and worth to rise and fall based on our temporal circumstances. That's the key right here. I'll say it again. Stop allowing your emotions and worth to rise and fall based upon what's happening temporally in this world. God continues to call us over and over and over again. This world isn't it. This world isn't it. This life in the terms of eternity is a speck, is a speck, a vapor, a mist like the grass come and go. And then eternity begins. You've got to be reminded. of It's one of the things God says over and over and over again. On this note, let's go New Testament, Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 23. This whole section of Scripture is groaning for glory. You know it's right that we're supposed to groan, right? You realize that? Groaning's good. We're to groan for what is to be. How many people have figured out the art of groaning yet? Anyone? Anyone? Groaning? 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 Where are you? Where are you? I see a couple right here. Any more? Okay, okay the rest of you, come on now. It's so biblical. you got to learn to groan. You say, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, notice this. Not only the creation is groaning. You realize that creation is groaning? Earthquakes, storms, natural disasters, just the cause of sin all throughout the earth. It's groaning. Climate change, Everyone you want to say? All that's it's signs of groaning that there's something greater coming. The earth itself is longing for the new heavens and new earth where everything is restored to the way it was supposed to be and utter perfection. The earth itself is groaning. Creation is groaning. The universe is groaning. Awesome. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, okay? So if you're filled with the Spirit of God, if you're saved, born again, regeneration, you are saved in Jesus Christ, you are to grown. When the Spirit of God is within you, the Spirit of God is saying, this world isn't it. Don't live for the world. The Spirit of God is saying, it's not true. It's not real. It won't last. It's a lie. Live for Christ. Heaven's coming. Glory is about to be. Jesus Christ will return and all will be made right. All the pain and sin will be gone. The Spirit of God, even now in you, says, it's true, it's true, it's true, because it says it right here. We ourselves, with the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly we groan, we long. You should be like when you're walking and you hurt yourself or wake up and you feel so old and and you're aching. That's groaning. That's groaning. You can turn the aches of your body into spiritual worship in a sense, because you know you're made for something greater than this. Greater than this, amen. Oh my goodness. Greater than this, right? That day's coming, it's coming. It's good to groan. We groan as we see the pain in the world. We groan in the darkness. We groan and wait eagerly. Eagerly. See, if I'm doing a Bible, then, oh, some green showed up. Awesome. That's amazing. Now what? Okay, here's the theology of this right here, okay? Look at this. So we're groaning what? For adoption as sons. You say, wait, wait, I thought I thought I was adopted in Jesus Christ. If I'm saved in him, I'm adopted. Yes, it's the already and not yet. Big point of theology. There's a present reality, but there's also a future coming reality as well. So we are adopted as sons, but we're not fully saved yet in terms of our glorification. The Bible says we have been saved, justification, we are being saved, sanctification, we shall be saved, glorification. So there's past, present, future tense, future tense of salvation. See, there's so much more to come. And the redemption, well, I thought I was redeemed by the cross of Jesus Christ and his blood shed for me, I was purchased by him. That's true, that's true, but notice the redemption of our bodies, there it is. I'm telling you, man, I think I'm teaching right now, it's, it's good to groan. It's good to groan about your weakness and how, how old you're getting and realize you're not getting any younger, right? Hey, young people, your turn's coming. <laughs> your turn's coming. You feel like you're all, you know, unbeatable, unbreakable. You'll see, you'll see, all right? Look at that. For in this hope... In this hope we were saved. See that? That's so awesome. In the hope of what? Redemption, adoption, you know, for our salvation, groaning. This is all, this is all part of fearing the Lord. That this world isn't it. That we were made for so much more. I mean, I I really hope that you're encouraged right now. And that that is the point of why God gives us passages like this. To tell us, listen, listen, there's more. There's more. Just before we move on, verse 18, notice. The distinction between the righteous and the wicked and the distinction between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve. Now, why is that important? Because it pulls us back to verse 14, okay? Verse 14, the people complain, hard heart says, it's vain to serve God. It's vain to serve God. But notice, that's what the irreverent say. Those who don't have the fear of the Lord say, it's vain to serve. Those with the fear of the Lord will never say that. Those in the fear of the Lord say it is never vain to live for God, ever, because he holds all of life and my salvation. John Payton, the missionary to cannibals, wonderful, powerful, incredible man of God, he said this, I've always loved this quote, he said this, those who have tasted this highest joy, the joy of the Lord, will never again ask, is life worth living? It is never vain to serve God. Some of you are here right now. You are in a dark, dark place. You are fighting through misery. You are struggling with deep depression and dark thoughts. You are filled with hatred for your life and maybe just misery in this world. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus doesn't promise life will be easy but Jesus promises that purpose and meaning and joy will be found in him. This is a man that was ministering to those who were trying to kill him, to eat him. And he said, those who have tasted the highest joy, the joy in Jesus Christ, salvation in him, the joy of the Lord, will never again ask, is life worth living? Will you struggle? Yes. Will life be hard? Yes, in this world. But to the point, the foundation spiritually is, I will always know that in the end, Life is absolutely worth living because I am a daughter or son of the Lord God Almighty and I belong to Jesus Christ and he has saved me from sin, death, and Satan itself. That thought comes though when we are filled with the fear of the Lord. But for you who fear my name, you see what's happening? So a lack of fear, calloused and complaining heart, filled with fear, reverent and remembered, and now... Our third point, this. We see now the reason to fear the Lord, okay? I got two J's coming up. Two J's. Are they up there already? Oh, they are, they are, which is totally fine. Judgment in Jesus, okay? Callous and complaining, reverent and remembered, and now judgment and Jesus. Here's, here's the reason to fear the Lord. So chapter four, verse one, take a look. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, When all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. I think it's needless to say, in verse 1, this is the judgment part. And in some ways, you read that verse and you're like, wow. Wow. Now right here in verse 1, loved ones, this is a teaching and doctrine of God's word that many people choose to pass over or ignore or neglect altogether. But let us understand, the doctrine of judgment is so critical to the urgency of the gospel. And God has said it, therefore we must preach it. And as we look at verse 1, it should hold us in a sense of godly fear. It should remind us, this is not a game This is not a joke. Have you ever noticed how obsessed our world is with entertainment? I mean, completely and utterly idolatrous towards just make me be entertained for another half hour, for another hour, just let me get through the escapism of this next day, let me live for the next sporting event, the next TV show, the next thrill ride. Just it's obsessed with entertainment, right? Why? Denying reality. It's an attempt to deny the reality of this world we live in. The moment Jesus Christ returns to judge, okay, that is all in one millisecond seen for what it is. Absolutely useless. Puff in a puff of smoke, it's gone. Live wisely. Live wisely, but the world is obsessed because they're suppressing the truth of what actually is real. And here's what's real from verse 1. That judgment is real. We're going to learn three things from judgment on the screen from here. uh, Beside me in verse 1. Notice this, first of all. um, Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. The text says, behold, the day is coming. Then again it says in verse 1 twice, the day is coming. What's the day? It's the day of the Lord. It's the day when Jesus Christ returns to deal with all those who have opposed him. That's going to be a terrifying day for those apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand here that justice is on its way. The Bible talks about all over the place. The day is coming when all wrongs will be righted. The day is coming, note the text says in verse 1, where the arrogant and the evildoers, they will be judged. That day is coming. We've got to be crystal clear, this will not be a fun day for those opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ. This should cause us to be sober-minded. This should give us great reason to fear to fear the Lord. You know, one of the texts that speaks about this, and sometimes we have this image of Jesus sometimes, like he's some kind of fluffy teddy bear and stuff, and, and I'm not against at all seeing Jesus for what he is, of grace and love, but there's more to this, okay? Revelation, Revelation 19, I'll read it for you. When Jesus Christ is about to return, listen to what it says about him. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name which he is called is the word of God. The robe dipped in blood is not like blood from the cross. That's done. The robe dipped in blood is the sign of how much he will conquer his enemies. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Judgment is coming. Jesus came first as a humble servant. He returns as a conquering king. We learn next, just from Malachi 4, verse 1, that judgment will be severe. Notice verse 1. I'm just telling you what God's word says. The day is coming, burning like an oven. Wow. It says, The day is coming that shall set them ablaze. There's imagery of fire and heat here. Here again is a portion of God's word that those who overemphasize God's grace and neglect God's holiness don't understand or either appreciate. As we learned a couple of weeks ago from Pastor Craig, the fire of Malachi 3 is the purifying of God's people. The fire of Malachi 4 is the judgment of the wicked. Again, in our day, there's such an emphasis on Jesus and his grace and love, to which I say, awesome, of course, of course Jesus is grace. Of course he's love. But listen, not emphasizing the grace and love of Jesus to the neglect of the fact that Jesus was grace and truth. John 1, 14. It's amazing, the conversation you get into, uh, I like being with people emphasize the love of Jesus, and Jesus, you know, then if all you do is emphasize the grace of Jesus in that sense, then you're no longer like Jesus. Because Jesus was full of grace and truth. You don't choose the part you like. If you truly want to be like Jesus, you give the whole package. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in Scripture, Because Jesus loved people truly. He loved them in grace, but he loved them in truth. And he gave the truth. The reality is, if you don't know the bad news, you won't understand the good news. Let me just consider the reality of what Jesus said in truth from a few passages in the gospel. This is a tiny sample of what Jesus said on the reality we're learning today. Jesus said this. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said, these verses don't seem to show up when it comes to the emphasis of Jesus. and This is so important. Next verse. Jesus said, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It's not a joke. One more example from Jesus. Jesus says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands go to hell. to the unquenchable fire. Why did Jesus say things like this? Well, because what is love? If you see someone floating down a river towards their death over some kind of massive falls, you don't just sit there, sit back and say, hey, good luck. If you really love them, you try to save them and you try to warn them. If you truly love them, you say, listen, it's not like, hey, let's live this life, do your best, see what happens at the end. God is, you know, he'll just figure it out and everyone will go to heaven. That That's not reality. The reality is those who oppose Jesus Christ and reject him, those who refuse to believe that he is the Son of God and creator of the heavens and earth and see him as the one, they are not friends of God. They are enemies of God. And therefore, they stand in judgment when Jesus Christ returns. And that will not be a fun day. Judgment is coming. Judgment will be severe. And thirdly, judgment will be final. It will be final. Look at the end of verse 1. I'm just telling you what God's word says. Notice, we'll set them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. When a tree is cut down or a tree is pruned severely, as long as there's root or branch, there's hope. If there's branch, there's hope, it can return. Even at a stump. A stump, in some forms, again, you cut it off, and a shoot goes up, and then all of a sudden it can restore itself to its former glory. If there's no root or branch, there's no hope for return. Zero. That tree... That bush, whatever it is, it's done. It's done. It'll never appear again in the same way as that tree or a bush. This is the reality for those who oppose Jesus Christ. Judgment will be final. No second chances when you die. That's not happening. This is the reality for all those who oppose and reject the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us reason to fear the Lord. It gives us reason to reach out in love and to warn of the truth. Okay, that is the judgment part, and I realize it's serious, and heavy. I'm, just, I'm trying to be faithful to what God's word says, but now we come to the Jesus part. Look at verse two. But for you, here we go, here's our title. Here's the hub of our text. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Notice this. The son of righteousness shall rise. I believe wholeheartedly, along with all the commentators over history, that this is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The son of righteousness shall rise. Notice, with healing in its wings. Jesus Christ is born to live, to die, to be raised from the dead, to heal us from sin and death. Again, some of you are here right now and you feel anything but healed. You feel so broken. You're hurting. Just so wounded emotionally, spiritually. Jesus is the one who comes to bring spiritual healing from death itself. This is the gospel. Notice, he brings joy to the point that we will go leaping like calves from the stall. What an image. Just think calves that are tied up, calves that are restricted, and then they're free to go. The young calves, as they leap and they dance, and they're so excited. This is the, this is the joy of salvation only found in Jesus Christ. Notice, he says to you, you will tread down the wicked, Meaning, there is complete and total victory for those who give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reality in Jesus, the son of righteousness we cannot lose. We are guaranteed life and victory. But again, notice the condition or the invitation we start. But for you who fear my name. But for you... Who fear my name, there is healing, joy, and life. But for you who don't, there is no healing, there is no life, there is no joy. There's death. And the fear of the Lord, as we take this over to the New Testament, the fear of the Lord is the, is receiving by faith Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of your sins and honoring him as Lord and as Savior because he loves you so much that he gave his life for you that you may not perish but have eternal life. Who is here today that needs to be filled with the fear of the Lord? Today with all my heart and with the authority of God's word before us right now, I, I invite you to life in Jesus Christ. There are some here today, you've never done this. You have been walking away, running away, rejecting, pushing off, the invitation to eternal life for months, if not years, and possibly decades. I implore you, I implore you to receive the life that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to be rescued from judgment. I beg you to joy and love. I urge you to come to Jesus. I plead with you to turn from your sin and trust Him as Savior. I ask you, why would you not come today? Why would you hesitate any longer? Why would you resist him at this moment? Why? Why would you turn away from the one who wants to set you free from every part of misery? You know and I know, and deep down our world is so dark and so gloomy and so hurtful and so sad and so sick and so messed up and so depressed and so much misery and so much hate. The world doesn't work. Jesus Christ is the light that shines into the darkness because he is the son of righteousness. The sun of righteousness rises with healing in its wings as the son our, in our solar system gives life to billions on this planet and billions more in all of creation and has overabundance left over to supply in our son if it had to. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to be the light of the world, who has infinite supply to bring life to billions and anyone who desires to know him by faith and receive his grace, he will shine his light on you and at that moment you are healed. At that moment you become saved. At that moment you are rescued from sin and death and again and you never have to fear life again because he is the answer to all that you ever desired and all that you ever wanted to be. No guilt in life, no fear in death only found in Jesus Christ alone. Again, again, there are some here today. This is your moment. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart. Do not resist the love of God. Bend the knee to acknowledge He is Lord. Confess your sin to Him as Savior, and you see what happens in your life. You see, you see what begins. A journey that is difficult but a journey you will never, ever regret for the rest of eternity. Only found in Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves you. This is how much he loves you. It's a serious thing. This life is not a game. I implore you, give your life to Jesus Christ. Now. Don't say I'll think about it. Don't say I'm going to wait another day. No, now. Now. With all the faith you have, give your life to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Let's Let's bow our heads. Let's be quiet. If you are here today and you desire you desire life you desire to return from sin you desire to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you are so desperate for life to be lived in him I just invite you to pray this prayer with me right now and if it is real for you, then you can, you can have assurance. You can know that Jesus Christ is setting you free once and for all. You say, Lord Jesus Christ, I confess to you that I have sinned against you, against the Lord, but Jesus Christ, I know and I believe that you died for my sins. There's nothing I can do to save myself, but it's all that you have done to save me. Jesus, I believe that you lived, died, and rose again, and one day you will return. Jesus, I want to be your child. I want to belong to you. I want to be saved. Save me from my sin. You are Lord. You are life. You are love. Jesus, I place my faith in you. Set me free. Jesus, set me free. Oh, call out to him, child. Call out to him. And you and you will, you will become an adopted son or daughter of God himself. Filled with the fear of the Lord. Found in Jesus Christ alone. God, build your church here today, I pray. I pray there are many decisions made in reality that will never, ever end. Be glorified through our lives, how much we love you and need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.